0: Andy Dalton is going to start on Sunday, and Nick Foles is going to be his backup. Uh, Justin's making good progress, uh, just not there medically yet for the clearance. Obviously, uh, thankful for the opportunity to be out there. It's... A lot more fun to play than to be sitting on the sidelines. Jalen's questionable um, and uh, but we still have 48 a little less than 48 hours to, to let the body heal, see what's going on. Again, I feel confident with either guy with, you know with either of the guys if they have to go and play of the way they've prepared all week and, and
1: uh, went about their business. So January won't happen if we don't take care of business now.
2: and uh, you, can't, you can't worry about January now. you have, you have to get to January. You got to win now to make sure you're in January.
0: Quentin's, Quentin's awesome. He's uh, he's been great this entire season. I I think he's a Pro Bowler personally. But even if he doesn't get, it, he's a Pro Bowler in my mind. So
1: I try to stay out of it. Like, I try to start, stay my head out of it because and like, I always like nothing comes good in the media is like rat poison and stuff like that.
3: How about some rat poison for the next hour? The media is rat poison. Gee, I would never expect Nick Saban to say anything like that about those of us in the media who, from time to time, may say something that he doesn't like. A guy who will say plenty of things over the next hour that I don't like. I like him, but I don't like what he says about me. It's Miles Simmons. Miles, we're another Friday closer to death. Welcome.
2: Hello, Mike. Yeah, what a what a beautiful intro that was. And it's not just that Nick Saban doesn't like things we say; he doesn't like how his team reacts to it. That's really what the poison is. It's like my high school coach used to say, we used to have these press clippings and I'm, you know, still old enough for that to be a thing where we'd have them on the board and he called it the perfume board because it's nice to smell when you walk by it. But if you drink it, it'll make you sick. Same kind of deal. Rat poison.
3: I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Yeah. Although rat poison doesn't yeah. smell good. No, I like it. Doesn't. Well done. Coach Walton. Uh, Also, you will only have to deal with the two of us for roughly half of the show today. There's a football pod in America with Maria Taylor, Tony Dungy and yours truly coming up the back half of the program where we go in depth on several of the games coming up this weekend. We'll spend the first half of the show talking about other things. And let's begin with the situation in Tampa Bay where, lo and behold, the non-story became a real story just two weeks later. And it was two weeks ago on Rich Eisen's show that Bruce Arians scoffed at the notion that Antonio Brown had a fake vaccination card. Well, now Antonio Brown, Mike Edwards, and former Buccaneers player John Franklin III have received three game suspensions, not that it matters to Franklin, for misrepresenting their vaccination status. Here is Coach Arians from the get go at his press conference earlier today. All right, obviously we
1: have two guys suspended. The league did their due diligence, and um, we move on. Uh, I will not address those guys uh, for the next three weeks. They'll just be working out, and then we'll, we'll address their future at that time. Um, other than that, there's really nothing to say. Out for this game would be Jalen Darden and Jordan Whitehead. Um Everybody else will be a game time decision, and uh, and it's a big, big game for us—a division game on the road. And uh, I know everybody wants the other story, but we're playing the Falcons. I don't give a shit about that. He,
3: he did the. He did the. Did you notice the little the little tell there when he said, "There, we'll make a decision about them later." I I don't know whether that means the decision's already been made and we're going to get rid of them or you know I, I you, you th- do you think the decision is going to be anything other than we welcome them back with open arms because they help us win football games and at the end of the day if Antonio Brown was struggling at the bottom of the roster he'd be gone and the problem is you got to get rid of both of them you can't just say we're keeping the one who is good and we're getting rid of the one who stinks if if one enough is good enough to stay if one of them is good enough to stay excuse me then they're both staying but I, I don't I don't buy it I, I, I think that maybe they're going to use what he said today as kind of a carrot for the players who take their place. Not that Brown has been playing, but it's an opportunity for the other guys who have the roster spots that immediately are going to go back to Brown and Edwards to try to play hard enough that maybe they, they get a chance to keep those jobs. I, I think those guys are coming back in three weeks, Miles.
2: Uh, yeah, I do too, Mike. Because it's a it's a production equals tolerance thing, right? If, like you were saying, if Antonio Brown weren't any good, then A, he probably would not have been able to re-sign with the Buccaneers. But B, then he'd be gone already. And this is the kind of thing that good players get to do when they are in the league and they have a team that likes them and they have a quarterback specifically who really likes to throw to him and has good chemistry with him on the field. I don't think if the Buccaneers were to get rid of Antonio Brown today, Tom Brady would be very happy about it. Despite all of the things that are going that would go into. Yes, we're going to get rid of Antonio Brown because he not only lied to us, he lied to everybody within this building and potentially put everybody's health at risk. I, I I think that that is a good enough reason to cut Antonio Brown on site. But I also understand from a production standpoint, uh, yeah, that's still somebody that you want because he can help you win another Super Bowl.
3: And I, I would like to think some of the reporters showed up at today's press conference ready to remind Arians that he told Peter King in October of 2020 of Antonio Brown. He screws up one time. He's gone. I wanted to hear Arians stick handle his way through that and and my guess is he would have said well that was when he first joined us he's been a model citizen ever since he joined us except for the fact that he gave us a fake vaccination card. <laughs> other than that this guy's been great so, <laughs> there's nothing yeah. funny yeah, about this I mean like that's so, a big you know, deal here. that's a big deal it's a big deal when Bruce Arians is a three-time cancer survivor Tom Moore offensive consultant is 83 years old yes and these are two of the individuals who face potentially a serious illness or death from a breakthrough vaccination, even though they've been fully vaccinated. It's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. And if Antonio Brown wasn't viewed as such a key piece of the puzzle for them to get back to the Super Bowl and win it again, he would be gone. Mike Edwards would be gone. There would be no questions asked. So that little scratch of the ear, that's telling us that these guys are going to be back. They're going to be back unless they do something stupid over the course of the next three weeks. And with Antonio Brown, you can never rule it out as evidenced by the latest brouhaha in which he found himself. Now, Arian said something else that I completely agree with because he made the point that I think that the league should be looking into other teams. And he was asked, well, does that mean you think other teams have this situation? He said, maybe. Well, I look at it this way, Miles, and I asked the NFL yesterday. It was one of the first things I did. Email to the league and the union. What are you doing to look into whether or not other teams had this same issue with players misrepresenting their vaccination status? And the league said, well, we've got 80 percent of the players who got their vaccines at the team facility. So for the 20 percent who got vaccinated away from the facility, what we did is we asked the teams, is your rate of positive test results, your rate of COVID infections the same or different? For your 80% who got jabs at the facility and the 20% who brought in cards. And the league told me that they heard from all the teams that it's the same. I don't know how the honor system really works in this regard. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That's logically flawed. It doesn't matter whether or not you have the same or higher rate of positive infections for the guys who were vaccinated off-site versus the guys who were vaccinated on-site. What matters is whether or not you have guys showing up giving you fake vaccination cards. And we already have the representative sample in Tampa. We've got, let's assume 53 are vaccinated, 80% got vaccinated on-site, 20% off-site. That's about 10 players who were vaccinated off-site. Two of them brought in fake cards. That's 20%. That's enough for me to say we're going to look at the 20% that makes up the rest of the league. That's about 300 players. We're going to vet their cards. And if they're fake, they're getting suspended too.
2: That was a lot of math, Mike. I was told there would be no not math. Not much math. Not much math. I mean, it, it was a lot. But I just, it just made me think of this. Like, correlation does not equal causation, right? If we're looking right. at, okay, are these rates the same, you know, between the vaccinated or, the, excuse me, the vaccinated players that you vaccinated yourself as an organization and the other 20% that came in with a card? I don't, I just don't know that that really matters. Cause it doesn't really get down to the heart of what the situation is, which is, is, is the card fake or not? I, you know, I don't think that, that what you're saying about that and, you know, examining the numbers and whatnot, that doesn't really answer the question as to whether the player is vaccinated and actually presented a card that um, is genuine and real, right? I, I don't I understand the approach. And it's a sort of a, an interesting deflection, but it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter and answer the actual question, which is, do you know if there are other the other players in this league that have fake vaccination cards and I think that it is something that they have to explore because again if you are unvaccinated and you know you have to go into the facility every single day to get tested there are different rules for vaccinated players and if you are pretending to be vaccinated you are putting the health and safety of everybody at risk
3: absolutely and I hope the league will do the right thing here and vet all of those cards i got a little pushback from the league yesterday like well you oh there's a shock you you think we didn't (laughs) i'm doing you you think we didn't care (laughs) about this issue i got that i got some of that you think we didn't care about it? it's like well you know what here's the thing if i hadn't made a big deal about it maybe you wouldn't have cared maybe you would have brushed it all under the rug maybe you would have done nothing about it so What we're saying now is aimed at getting them to care about the other 31 teams. It's not enough to say we've detected no statistical anomalies when it comes to. no, No, what matters is, you know, that one team that just because Antonio Brown was stupid enough to stiff his live in chef. So the guy went public with what he knew about the fake vaccination card. That's the only reason we know about any of this, Miles. Exactly. Just because it happened exactly. to come out thanks to some crazy sitcom-style set of facts. We're on notice that there's probably an issue with one of the other 31 teams. How how odd it would be that the one team where we know there was an issue is the only team out of 32— where there's an issue. I mean, come on, how naive would you have to be to assume that we just so happen to have the only incident with three guys with fake cards fall into our laps?
2: Uh, As naive as you probably have to be to believe that there's nothing else that was going on uh, in those emails other than John Gruden saying some racist, sexist, misogynistic stuff.
3: Yeah, other than those five pages, the 650,000 documents are clean, (laughs) clean, Please take our word for it. Have we ever lied to you before five minutes ago? Um, all right. Uh, what, one last point about this, because I'm fascinated by this angle as well. Prosecution's possible. And one of the reasons why they used the term in the joint release misrepresented vaccination status, they didn't want to come out and say fake vaccination card. And I've yet to write about the statement that was issued yesterday by Antonio Brown's lawyer, Sean Burston, because my first reaction was, Sean, shut the F up. I mean, come out and say, well, he really is innocent. We just took this punishment because we just shut up. Just say nothing in that setting because your guy, as far as the NFL is concerned, did it. Keep your head low and your mouth shut because the more you say, the more you potentially attract the attention of a federal prosecutor who thinks, hmm, what a message we could send to the rest of the country about the importance of not Giving fake vaccination cards to people if we prosecute a high profile person who gave a fake vaccination card to someone, so that that's we don't know where that stands. We may just be you know days away from the press conference where they announced the indictment of Antonio Brown.
2: That would be certainly interesting, and you know it's funny, Mike yeah, I, I have continued to hear sometimes about, like, people who may or may not want a fake vaccination card, and not really from my circle of friends, but, like, friends of friends. Somebody was texting me today, actually, about the same sort of thing. Like, they saw on social media somebody had posted, like, oh, there's these vaccine cards, at CVS. What if I just took them? Like. You would probably be prosecuted. Like You'd at least get in a lot of trouble. And beyond that, why do you want to prolong a pandemic by giving people something that, again, like not only is vaccine-free, but because it's being paid with by your tax dollars, you already paid for it. Just go get the shot, man. Get your boosters, too.
3: Well, I agree with you, but the problem is we have a certain percentage of the country that believes they don't work, that they are... Embedding into our bodies nanotechnology that allows us to be tracked and manipulated. I I saw that recently. It's not just tracked. We're also being manipulated by the nanobots that have been injected into our bloodstream. So maybe the words that I'm uttering now aren't really my words. Maybe Bill Gates is making me say these things. So thank you, Bill, because I feel like I'm having a pretty good day. It's about a B-plus day. So thank you, Bill, for programming my brain and my mouth that I actually come off as semi-articulate today because on a Friday, you never quite know how it's going to go. All right, uh, enough of that. Let's move forward. The Giants have ruled out Daniel Jones for Sunday's game against the Miami Dolphins. Mike Glennon will be starting in Jones' place, and now reportedly – Jones may not play again this year because of the strained neck. All because, Miles, all because that reporter on Wednesday made him turn his head when yes, he was answering yeah. questions. See, I'm, he was healing sure. fine until he had to turn his head to answer questions. That's when he that's when he aggravated the condition and now he's not going to play. But no, seriously, he's got an injury that's, that, that is keeping him from playing and it may keep him from playing the rest of the year. And I would be ultra cynical here if the fifth-year option was no well they haven't picked up the fifth year option yet so it doesn't matter right um if they had already picked up the fifth year fifth year option keeping him healthy wouldn't matter either like it used to because it's now fully guaranteed when it's exercised that's the next relevant step for the giants here what are they going to do about the fifth year option and we're losing six games of evidence that would go into the question of whether or not they wanted to, to exercise that option for 2023
2: but We don't even know who's going to be the one to potentially exercise or not exercise that option. So you if you are the next general manager of the New York Giants, you know, presuming that Gettleman's going to be gone, and I feel like we all are assuming that that's going to be the case, right? Like, if, if you don't have these games of Daniel Jones playing and potentially getting better showing some sort of progress especially now that you have a different play caller what is that going to mean for the way that Daniel Jones is going to look I, I it's really hard to me to really kind of make that evaluation and say yeah we definitely want to give Daniel Jones all this guaranteed money for 2023 when you just don't know enough about him. You know, it's very different, I feel like, than what Baker Mayfield was doing last year for Cleveland where going into the year, yeah, you had a lot of questions, but then Baker Mayfield is able to get you to the postseason. And while there still may be questions about whether or not they want to give him a long-term deal, you knew that you would at least probably want him for five years. With Daniel Jones, man, I just don't know. I I really don't know. I see him sometimes, and he makes really good throws. He makes high-quality throws where I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why the Giants drafted you with the top 10 pick and then he'll do other things that are just so boneheaded where I'm like dude like this is awful I don't know how you're going to be anything more than a backup quarterback for the rest of your career so Mike I, I don't know are you sold one way or the other on Daniel Jones?
3: I wouldn't pick up the option just like the Bears didn't pick it up with Mitchell Trubisky a few years ago and if you get yourself in a spot where he has a great fourth year uh, season and you've got to use the franchise tag or the transition tag on him going into 2023 so be it good problem to have if that's what happens. Because by year three, you're going to declare yourself one way or the other. If you're going to become a true franchise quarterback in the NFL, you're going to declare yourself by year three, not year five. used to be year five. Now it's going to show up by year three. And some guys don't even get that third year to prove themselves. Look at poor Josh Rosen, who got one year before they decided in Arizona. We can get Kyler Murray. See you later, Josh Rosen. So I think it's see you later, Daniel Jones. Although it doesn't mean he'll be gone next year. His contract is fully guaranteed for the first four years of his career. My guess is they keep him around, but they explore their options. And you know, I guess if they could put him in a trade package that would, you know, Dave Gettleman says Pat Shermer's is the one who wanted him. Maybe if Vic Fangio survives in Denver, they trade him to the Broncos next year and he solves their quarterback problems there. You know, the biggest issue with Jones, he he has yet to accelerate the clock in his head. He fumbles the ball a lot when he gets hit because he's still holding on to the football. At some point, your awareness has to—the game has to slow down to the point. Your understanding the game has to get to the point where you know how much time you have to get rid of the football. And you understand that if you hold it beyond that, the chances of getting hit with the ball in your hands and having the ball come out of your hands go up dramatically. Speaking of the clock— Uh, Let let me just squeeze in this last point before we take a break. We don't have a whole lot of time today because of football pod in America, but Taysom Hill, he's believed to have a torn tendon in his middle finger. It's the mallet finger injury like one of the various ailments that Russell Wilson got several weeks ago when he banged his hand against Aaron Donald. Taysom Hill had the similar kind of outcome last night. He played through it with a splint. He's going to keep playing through the mallet finger injury. Is that good enough for him to play instead of Trevor Simeon? I don't know because I think his his performance as a passer definitely took a hit last night once he injured the finger, Miles.
2: Uh, No doubt. Three second half interceptions. And like that first interception that he had in the first half was just an absolutely incredible play by the defensive back. But I mean, when you look at what he was doing last night, it just, I mean, he couldn't throw, he really had a hard time. And it kind of reminded me of Tim Tebow out there, which is obviously not a compliment. So I don't know exactly what uh, they're going to do with the quarterback position, not just with Hill, but you know, generally, I I don't think Trevor Simeon really piloted the offense that much better at at least with Taysom Hill he can run he can get things done with his legs a little bit but right now the Saints man they are just totally snake bitten. man I, I don't know what you're gonna do if you're them and you've got all these injuries
3: yeah and and it really is crazy to see how it's falling apart some big changes to come for that team in the offseason though starting at quarterback I know Taysom Hill has that contract that pays him at a certain level if he's not a quarterback pays him a lot more if he plays quarterback and plays well It allows the Saints to keep him around. I can't imagine the Saints not trying to bring in one of these veterans like a Russell Wilson. Remember, the Saints were one of the four teams back when Russell Mm -hmm. Wilson didn't want to be traded by the Seahawks, but in the event they trade me, Raiders, Bears, Cowboys, Saints were the four options, and the Saints are going to be looking. They have to be looking for somebody for 2022. Jameis Winston's got the knee injury. It's going to be back at 100% late in the process, and also he didn't show me enough in half of the season to make it look like he deserves to stick around all right let's take a break some more headlines coming out of this friday in head ahead of the 13th sunday of the national football league season when pftpm continues right after this
1: what's going on y'all just uh checking in for today um i got some good news some really good news i am finally tossing them bad boys. I'm done, baby. Walk normal now. Let's go.
3: Raheem Mostart, 49ers running back off crutches. He's out for the year with a knee problem, Uh, and it's good to see. The guy, uh, very talented, and it's just the nature of the position. You get banged up when you play running back. Odo Beckham Jr. already banged up, Miles. Sean McVay says he would be surprised if OBJ misses Sunday's game. I think it was Ian Rappaport, that reported earlier today that Beckham may not play with a hip problem. Uh, look, I do they really need him against the Jaguars? Like, if Odell Beckham Jr. is the difference-maker against the Jaguars, you got real problems in L.A., don't you?
2: Well, I think that they kind of do have problems in L.A., right? I mean, you already lost Robert Woods. There basically is no receiver depth other than, you know, Ben Skorinik and J.J. Koski. And Koski had a really pretty poor game um, last week up there in Green Bay, a lot of out on special teams. But I, I just... Not maybe you don't need him, but you got to do something in order to get this thing rolling. And it was clear that Beckham had a problem in that last game. So we'll see if he's healthy or not. But as long as you have Cooper Cup out there, yeah, you should still be able to
3: beat the Jags. And the key player on this team continues to be Matthew Stafford, because if you can't beat the Jaguars, why did you give up two first round picks and a third round pick to unload Jared Goff? and pick oh up Matthew Stafford. How much better are you? How much better are you okay. really if you can't beat the Jaguars with Matthew Stafford? That's a fair question.
2: It, it is a fair question, but I would also say that, you know, even though the Rams have about the same record as they did at this point last year, if you look at they pass the eye test, the smell test, the sniff test, whatever you want to call it of having a more efficient offense and an offense that at least with a quarterback who can make all of the throws than they did, last year you're not holding your breath necessarily every time Matthew Stafford drops back to pass as you would with Jared Goff now albeit yeah Matthew Stafford's been turning the football over a little bit too much but I think that there's a good enough belief that the Rams are the Rams have enough that they can still compete they can make the playoffs are they a great team no but they're a good team
3: Let's take a quick break. When we return, one thing that we each can't wait to see on the 13th Sunday of the 2021 season, we'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
3: Friday edition PFTPM. We have Football Pod in America coming up momentarily for now, though. What we can't wait to see... With week 13 upon us, we have one selection each, so we better make it count. Now, I say all that acknowledging (coughs) that we cover four games in depth coming up later. So you may look at it and say, boy, there's more things exciting than that. We're going to talk about Patriots-Bills later, Steelers-Ravens later, Sunday Night Football later. For now, though, Miles, other than the stuff that's still to come, what can't you wait to see?
2: I cannot wait to see what the Raiders are going to do against Washington this weekend. This is a big game for both of these teams, Washington coming in with a really chance, a chance to get to 500 and really solidify themselves in that postseason race. And then the Raiders, they got back on it last week. They really beat a Cowboys team that yeah, had some injuries, but when you're coming on that short week, you're traveling to Dallas for Thanksgiving. I just really thought that that was a big win um, for Rich Basaccia and company. So, can they keep that going? You know, they're probably not going to have Darren Waller. He's doubtful. And then Josh Jacobs, also Deshaun Jackson, are questionable with their respective injuries. So I don't give fantasy advice, but if I did, I would probably say pick up Foster Moreau. He's probably going to get a bunch of targets there um, from Derek Carr, especially in that tight and heavy offense. But it's going to be interesting to see if Jack Del Rio, who coached Derek Carr for years, can come up with something to really confuse him defensively because that Washington defense has been better lately, but it's still not very good, Mike.
3: And Jack Del Rio has every reason to be fully motivated in this one. He got thrown overboard for John Gruden, and Del Rio continues to be the only coach who has won a playoff game for the Raiders since 2002, and he was discarded four years ago Wait a minute, he didn't win Gruden, one. when Mark Davis could he well he got there he didn't win one he but got he got there I'm sorry. yeah yeah he, he got there he got, he got there. there didn't, He's win. The only one that's got didn't win one yes. because Derek Carr got injured on Christmas Eve broke the leg mm-hmm. and it was someone he, who's never been in my kitchen who played quarterback someone very forgettable do you remember who the backup quarterback was in that playoff game I'll know it oh, when it was I hear Connor
2: it. Cook Connor Cook there played because Connor uh Cook. uh their, their, their regular backup then got hurt the next week, whose name i not care remember. So, Here we go. They had, a, they had a backup. Was it McGloin somewhere? Shaw? Matt, Matt McGloin.
3: Matt McGloin. Not Shaw. Matt McGloin. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was going to say uh, it's speaking, one of those
2: ubiquitous names. Whatever.
3: At, at least it wasn't one of the, the, the. A lot of these guys, and I guess it applies for Connor Cook. Cook, Connor. Like so many of these backup quarterbacks <laughs> have names that you can reverse and it still makes sense. Like Rush Cooper. I mean, there, there were a lot of guys like that not that long ago where it's just like every one of the – like, to be a backup quarterback in the NFL, you had to have a name that was completely and total re- totally reversible and made sense. So on Sunday, it's going to be Goff Jarrett against Cousins Kirk in Detroit. And we're talking about backups. Backup running back Alexander Madison. The Vikings need him to have the kind of performance we've seen from him when he's played in place of Dalvin Cook. The Vikings need to make quick work of the Lions for a couple of reasons. They need to be able to show that they're good enough – if they want to comp- compete for a playoff spot, this can't be barely beat the Lions on you know a late drive like the Bears did. If you truly are ready to make a move, and they have a chance to make a move because they got the Lions, the Steelers, and the Bears, they need to make quick work of the Lions. They need to get some rest for their starters because they got a Thursday night game at home against the Steelers, and the Steelers are going to be playing in a bare-knuckled brawl against the Ravens. So any advantage you can pick up, By getting your guys a little rest and getting them ready for Thursday night. This is an opportunity to do it. So I'd like to see if the Vikings are good enough to deliver a real knockout punch to the Lions, rest their guys up, and prepare for what would be win number two in a row, get them to seven and six, seven and six, with a chance to get to eight and six before they lose two in a row to the Rams and the Packers. And it all comes down to week 18 against the Bears, whether or not they get to nine and eight or eight and nine. That's where it's heading. If they can handle the lions and get ready to take care of the Steelers miles.
2: Yeah. But I I think the other part of it right now is we're seeing like with this playoff race and kind of both uh, conferences, but I would say, especially in the NFC, look, you don't necessarily have to be a great team to make it to the playoffs. There are seven playoff teams. There aren't seven great teams. I don't even know if there are seven actually really good teams in either conference, but You know, if you want to be a really good team, yeah, you got to go out there and beat the brakes off the Lions and take away their hope early. So, like you said, you can get a little bit of rest, a little bit of recovery, even during that game, because the Steelers are not going to be able to not play physically uh, against the Baltimore Ravens if they want to win that game. And of course, they want to win that game. They want to keep their season alive. So I think that, yeah, this is a big opportunity for the Vikings, and we'll see if they can handle it.
3: It really is going to be a crazy mad dash for those final playoff spots in each conference. I mean, when you think about the Steve Kornacki phase of the season, which is coming. Oh, yeah. Kornacki was with us on Football Night in America last year. All the different percentages and how they swing one game at a time. I mean, generally speaking, one game for an NFL team means a lot. As we get closer and closer yeah. to the end, those games are going to have dramatic impacts on the percentages up or down positive or negative that a team is going to have to make it to the playoffs miles.
2: Well, and then you have all of the different tiebreakers, too. And conference games do mean more than non-conference games. So, I mean, this divisional matchup between the Vikings and the Lions could still have some decent playoff implications, even though the Lions aren't going to be going to the postseason. That conference win could mean something for Minnesota down the road that could be actually a little bit more than beating the Steelers would on that next Thursday. So it's all going to be interesting come down the stretch.
3: It's amazing how that one extra game has had this kind of accordion effect that is created. I was concerned it was going to dilute and maybe cause teams to be out of it sooner. It's keeping teams alive longer. So uh, we got to take a break. Football Pod in America next on this Friday edition of PFTPM.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up?
4: Hello, and it's officially time for your week 13 preview. Maria Taylor alongside Tony Dungy and Mike Florio. Guys, we had a couple of bye weeks, but we're back at it again. <laughs> we're back at it again. And it's a good time to be back because I counted it up. There's 18 teams that are at least at 500 or better. But this week, we're going to start our conversation in the AFC because Monday Night Football, there's going to be a showdown with the Patriots going on the road to take on the Bills. The Bills have been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, The Patriots have won six straight, and they seem to be one of the more consistent teams in the league, Coach. So we'll start with you with the headline and what you're looking forward to seeing in this AFC matchup.
1: Well, you hit the nail right on the head. The Patriots have been consistent. They've just gotten better and better every week. We've seen up and down performances from Buffalo, but I think this game is really gonna hinge on Buffalo running the football. December in Buffalo, and you're playing a team that uh, in New England that has tremendous pass defense, spotty run defense. So I don't think Buffalo is going to be able to go in and just throw the ball all over the stadium and win the game. They're going to have to control the game on the ground. Josh Allen definitely is going to have to make plays. But how well will Buffalo be able to run? I think that's going to be the key to the game.
3: And the Bills have to be wondering, like, we thought we were going to at least have a few years of the division to ourselves (laughs) ourselves without having to worry about the Patriots. We had one year. And now the Patriots are in first place again this late in the season. But, Coach, I think you're absolutely right because you know what the Patriots are going to do. They're going to try to take away Stephon Diggs, shut down the passing game, and dare the Bills to run the football. And one thing I'm going to be watching for, because after Josh Allen's rookie year, when we saw him run the ball a lot throughout the regular season, I thought they started to be more careful with him because of the potential for injury, holding him as a runner until we got to the postseason. He had a huge rushing performance against the Texans in the game. Remember, they were up 16 nothing in the second half and lost to Houston. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't unleash him as a runner on Monday night as they try to beat back the Patriots and reclaim the division because the Patriots are going to say to the Bills, we're not going to let you throw it. We're going to dare you to run it. And it's not just going to be Devin Singletary then. Maybe it's going to be some Josh Allen running the football and the Bills throwing caution to the wind a little bit earlier than they ordinarily would when they would allow him to run the ball more in the single elimination setting in January.
1: I, I think you're exactly right, Mike. That's what's going to have to happen. Um, you look at some of the big games Lamar Jackson has had against New England. They, they have trouble with running quarterbacks. And Buffalo... You're going to have to pull out all the stops and win this game because if you don't win this game, the chances of you going into New England and winning a must win game later on are very, very slim. So, to me, that's the way the game should play out. Josh Allen be a factor early running the football as well as throwing.
4: Coach, do you have any concerns with Josh Allen's almost some inconsistency in the past game as well? Seven interceptions over the last four games. Or if you had to diagnose maybe the issue in the past game, it would be what?
1: I think they've become too reliant on that. Oh, Josh can make big plays. It doesn't matter. We don't run the ball that well, uh, or we don't run the ball even that much. We'll just let Josh make these plays. And when you're playing against teams that, that can't rush the passer or teams that don't have great pass defense, that that can happen. But you play New England and all those good defensive backs and tight man coverage, you're not going to just throw it for 400 yards up and down the field. And Josh. You know, he's got to be careful with the football that it's going to come down to turnovers. And I I think he's got to understand how this game is going to be played.
4: Yeah, especially when you're going against J.C. Jackson, the AFC Defensive Player of the Month. I mean, New England has found ways to force turnovers. Um, And Florio, you can help us understand the psyche of the Patriots right now, because in that locker room, you've got to think that this consistent play has been believing that special things could happen this season because they really have been very, very solid these last six weeks.
3: Bill Belichick spoke a couple of weeks ago about how the chemistry has developed for this team, and it's not something that you can force. You can't engineer it. It just has to sort of happen, and winning helps, if you're successful at anything that you do, there's going to be a better chemistry and vibe and feel among the workers than if you are getting beat every week like they are in Detroit. So it helps that they've they've found this winning vibe, but they, they really have come together and they've reached this identity. And it feels a lot like it did 20 years ago when they were winning games without a high-performing quarterback they're just doing what they have to do defensively offensively both sides of the ball and they're winning games convincingly 35 to 10 roughly is the average margin of the last six games so it's working well and it just has to sort of happen like Belichick said and it's happening this year and they're going to ride it as far as they can And coach, we really
4: haven't seen anything different from this Patriots team. It's like the Patriots of old, which is going to be a consistent and steady Mac Jones leading the offense. He's completing about 70 percent of his passes. I mean, as a rookie, first time under center and then a defense that's going to be opportunistic, not make a lot of mistakes. They do not hurt themselves. Uh, What has impressed you most about the way that the Patriots have evolved and the chemistry has changed, as Florio has said, as the season has gone on?
1: I just laugh because it's a movie that we've seen before, (laughs) and it's a team that goes out and you look at them and you say, who are their really great players? And you could say, okay, JC Jackson, maybe, uh, but but who else is really at, at the top of the list at their position? But they play so well together and they go out there every week and they play the same way and they're going to make it tough for you in the red zone. They're not going to give you long touchdown passes and long touchdown runs. They're going to force takeaways. And then offensively, they just kind of play that field position game. And when there's a chance to strike, they do. But you, after the game, you kind of look and just say, Man, what did they really do? What, what did they do well? And there's nothing they did outstanding, but everything was just the way it should be. And all of a sudden, as Mike said, it's it's 28 to. 15 and you say how did that happen but that's that's the Patriot <laughs> way
4: yep they just sit back like okay we'll let like you hurt yourself and we'll just keep doing what we do and at the end of the game we walk away with the wind is what seems to continue to happen but obviously the AFC East will be on the line a huge Monday matchup against the Bills we'll all be watching that one but let's talk about what we're going to see on Sunday we've got Ravens We've got Steelers. Um, And it's interesting because obviously Lamar Jackson is coming off of four turnovers against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, But the Steelers, it's like they have to get something going in the right direction. If you had to come up with your headline for this game, Mike, it would be what?
3: Well, it's Tomlin versus Harbaugh. It's one of the great coaching rivalries we've seen in this generation. right? They, they, they've faced each other at least twice per year, every year since 2008. They know each other as well as anyone. I'm just concerned that this time around the Steelers are overmatched physically without T.J. Watt there, with an aging Ben Roethlisberger, with a team that is really showing signs of wear and tear, and from a talent standpoint isn't in the same category currently as the Ravens. But – these games tend to be close more often than not. The Ravens have never been favored in Pittsburgh against Ben Roethlisberger. They've been favored three times during Roethlisberger's career when he wasn't playing. And each of those times, they only won the game by three points. I think the Steelers will find a way to keep it close. I think Mike Tomlin trying to push the buttons on his players to get them to play with a physicality that was lacking against the Bengals, appealing to them to really dig down and, and come up with something to match Baltimore I think it's gonna be a hard-fought game uh and you know this the, every time you write the Steelers off coach they find a way I've been studying this team for 50 years now I've lived in and around Pittsburgh they when they are the most dangerous when you say they're done
1: and people are saying they're done and, and I'm probably one of those people too I look at their run offense their pass offense uh, their run defense, Joe Mixon kind of ate them up last week. So you say, how in the world are they going to stop this running game of, of Baltimore? Can they score enough to hang in there? It doesn't look like it. But the other side of the coin, Baltimore has been playing with fire. Baltimore has won a bunch of games in the last month that you're you you know you're, you're not that impressed with. Uh, they find a way to win. Lamar Jackson throws four picks, and they, they still find a way to win. But this is Pittsburgh-Baltimore. We have to understand that. And as they always say, in these kind of rivalries, you can throw the records out, throw the stats out. This is gonna be a tight, hard fought game and it's gonna come down to the wire.
4: I love that you brought up uh, the fact that these two coaches have seen each other a lot, Florio. Uh, It's their 30th meeting and Tomlin's leading it 15 to 14. That's how close these (laughs) two rivals have been since these head coaches have been going against each other. And coach, I'm just curious, When you're a coach on the sideline, you're going up against another guy that you're just so familiar with. How do you describe what that type of game is like?
1: You know it's going to have to come down to what happens on the field. You're not going to fool them. They're not going to fool you. You know what they're going to do. They know what you're going to do. So it's not like, hey, we've got this secret game plan now. We can unleash this. They will never expect it. That doesn't happen in these type of games. These teams play their game. Who's going to do it? the best who's going to come up with that key play in the fourth quarter and I think both sides know that
4: all right well the AFC North leading Baltimore Ravens taking on the Steelers and the Ravens right now they are the only team in the AFC with just the three losses now let's talk about the Chargers and the Bengals the Bengals are coming off a huge win against the Steelers so it only makes sense that we talk about them right here um, what's been very impressive about them is that they've been able to Find explosive plays on offense. They're making plays on defense. And there's a lot of Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, the Jimmies and the Joes. They got the Joes going. So let's start with the Bengals. And what excites you most about what you've seen so far, Florio, from them this season?
3: Well, I mean, Joe Burrow has completely changed the narrative around the Bengals, and he welcomes that. This has been a team that's been among the most dysfunctional in the NFL for a long time now. Haven't won a playoff game since the 1990 season. And And they they aren't even getting to the playoffs. At least they went through that stretch under Marvin Lewis where they were getting there every year. They can't even get back there. Burrow forgets about the past, focuses on the future. I like how they've learned on the fly who they are. Burrow told me after the win over Pittsburgh, he had kind of fallen in love with the big play. He learned during the bye week to just take what the defense is giving. They've gone through that that Chiefs transformation on a more accelerated basis where they have to be more patient. And it's working. Joe Mixon has been great the past couple of weeks. They are taking what the defense gives them. And they are a very balanced team. Better on defense than they get credit for. Balanced on offense. And uh, they're, you know we're waiting for that team coach that's going to emerge at the right time and get hot in December. And the Bengals are are on that short list of teams that can do it because they're kind of already starting to do it.
1: And, and it's one thing that you just mentioned, Mike, that I think is the difference. They believe, and I think it starts with Joe Burrow. You know, we saw them, they're two games before the bye, and they're, they're flat, they lose, and oh, okay, here, here, these are the real Bengals. But they went into their bye, and they came back, and they said, you know what? All we've got to do is get back to playing our game, and we can do that. We're one of the best teams in the league, and they came out with two solid performances so to me that's what is a little bit different about this group they believe in themselves and a, a loss here or a bad quarter or a turnover is not going to all of a sudden shoot their psyche down so I, I like where they are and you're right their defense is playing better than people uh, really perceive everybody looks old oh, Joe Burrow Joe Mixon Jamar Chase they've got all these stars on offense they've got solid defenders they're playing hard they're making people work for it and, uh, you know, watch out for the Bengals in, in, the, in the home stretch, I believe.
4: Yeah, they're looking for their first playoff appearance since 2015. Um, and just from covering Joe Burrow in college at LSU, I feel like Florio, he brought that same thing to the locker room. Whereas, like, all of a sudden there's a belief of why shouldn't we be national champions? There's enough talent here. Why can't we make it happen? And a supreme confidence that kind of eked its way into the entire team. And it did result in a title. So we'll see how far they can go with Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, all those pieces that you guys just named working together so well down the stretch. Um, Meanwhile, the Chargers, a little bit of struggles. I mean, defensively coach, the last seven games, they've given up at least 27 points. Um, Offensively, maybe a little inconsistent. What concerns you most with what you've seen? Obviously the Chargers coming off a loss to the Broncos.
1: I think it's the defense and people saying, hey, we've got the formula to play the Chargers. They're dynamic on offense. But if we run the ball, have time-consuming drives, keep the ball away from their offense and you know, away from Justin Herbert, then we'll see how they respond. Are they going to get a little antsy and take some chances? Is Justin going to throw some, some balls that maybe he shouldn't throw? And so to me, they've got to get things going on defense where people can't just pound the football and have five and six and seven-minute drives against them. I still like them. I think they're, they're going to be fine but that defense concerns me a little bit.
3: And you just never know what you're going to get from the Chargers, that inconsistency that, you know, they started off so great. And then they, 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 they flattened out. Or remember that game, they went to Baltimore and we thought, well, what a showdown this is going to be what Justin Herbert and company can do against Lamar Jackson. It's like, they didn't even get off the bus for that game. So I, I think that, that, that this is just a team that is still trying to find its way under Brandon Staley. And I, Any given week, I just don't know what Chargers are going to show up. And if the ones that beat the Steelers show up, they got a chance. If the ones that didn't show up in Denver show up, they don't have a chance.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Easily said. And it's interesting because we're talking about two completely different mindsets. It's like the Bengals are on this coming off of that beating the Steelers, scoring 41 points, and the Chargers are in this up and down mode, kind of almost trying to figure it out. Um, If you had to say what the mindset is, Florio, of especially the Chargers offense, because we keep talking about Justin Herbert and what they have been able to do, but it's been inconsistent. What would it be right now?
3: Well, I think we're at the stage in the season where it's important for every offensive coordinator and play caller to fully and completely understand what they have put on film what tendencies they're showing what tells they may have what plays they're running out of what formations because there's more than enough evidence out there of the joe lombardi offense as applied to the la chargers to let defenses like coach Dungey would be doing study that film and see oh when they're in this set here's what they do when they do this third and five here's what they do you have to crack your own code and you have to come up with ways to zig when they think you're going to zag. And that's the test of great offensive coaching, doing something now in that setting that defies everything you've put on film the first 12 weeks of the season. And I'm not sure that they're doing that because it seems like they're finding ways. The defenses are like Vic Fangio and company last week to figure out what the Chargers are trying to do.
1: So true. And I really think we can look at the Chargers and they're – like everybody else in the AFC, um, when we are on our show and we say at the end of the night, who's the best team in the AFC this week? And one week we say it's Baltimore. Then they lose to Miami who, when Miami had only won one game. And then we say, well, it's got to be Tennessee. And then they go out and have kind of some off performances and maybe it's Buffalo. And then they lose to the Jaguars. And Drew Brees, he was all over the Chargers, you know, at one point. And then they've had some down games. So I think everybody's in that mode of just being up and down. Who is going to get hot and, and make this thing click for four or five weeks in a row? And right now, the Patriots seem to be doing that the best. The Chargers still have some dynamic games, but they have some off games. And and as Mike mm-hmm. said, which team are we going to see?
4: Mm-hmm. And what I keep coming back to is there's 12 teams in the AFC that are 500 or better. So you're right. It's kind of like, uh, who is the best team? Who's going to go and rise to the top? And really, who's going to get hot down the stretch? Um, Let's let's talk about what the Broncos want to do when they have to go on the road to take on Kansas City. It's obviously our Sunday night football game this week, and they have not beat the Chiefs since 2015. That is an 11 game skid. That's not what you like to hear, coach, but the opportunity is there. Coming off a big win against the Chargers. Uh, what are the odds that you're giving the Broncos that they can finally end this skid that they've been on?
1: I think this is their best chance in a long time because I, I really think, especially when they go into Kansas City in the past, they've gone in with this mentality somehow we've got to get 35 points. We're playing this dynamic offense. And so they end up. Doing things that aren't really them, but I, I think now they can look at it and say, you know what? We've seen the Chiefs' offense, and even on their best days, they're they're struggling. Uh, this might be a game that we can win twenty to seventeen or twenty four to twenty one, so we don't have to do things out of character on offense. And I think if Teddy Bridgewater goes in and protects the football, if they have their two headed running game going, and they can keep the ball for, you know. 33 34 minutes and make a couple of plays against the kansas city passing attack uh, we could have a great game in the fourth quarter and denver could win it you
3: know a point that peter king made this morning on pft live the idea that patrick certain the second a great rookie corner that the broncos took in round one a guy that patrick mahomes lavished praise upon earlier this week if certain can neutralize tyreek hill that's really going to force the Chiefs to go elsewhere. Now, Travis Kelsey, a big part of the offense, obviously. But if you can, if you can take away Tyreek Hill with Patrick Sertain, you can really go a long way toward taking care of the rest of the Kansas City offense. And, Coach, like you said, you don't need to score 35 points if you can do that. And it's going to be on Teddy Bridgewater to do just enough to generate the offense necessary. It's not going to be easy. I mean, it's Arrowhead Stadium, Sunday night football. It's going to be as loud as anything Denver's experienced this year. It's going to be high stakes. But I see it as an opportunity for a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. Five years after that devastating knee injury, they're on the right side of five hundred for the first time this late in the season since their Super Bowl win in 2015. This is a great opportunity for the Broncos to, to show that they belong in the conversation among the teams that are getting it done in the AFC.
1: But I really think they need to go in and play like some of these other teams have played. To me, if they take the approach that that you just mentioned, hey, I'm going to put Patrick Sertain out there and he's going to handle Tyreek Hill, that could be a (laughs) disaster. Play like everybody else. Make them throw the ball short and underneath. Try to come up with an interception, a penalty, a sack. Uh, but don't go out and say, "Hey, we're just going to play our game, and these guys aren't very good." They, you know, they exploded on the Raiders uh, when they weren't playing good football. Kansas City did. Uh, you, to me, you you got teams have shown the blueprint how to play these guys. Let's see if they can adjust.
4: Mm-hmm. Pat Sartain, the rookie, is coming off two interceptions against the Chargers. One of them was a pick six. And I love that you brought up rookies because you kind of look at the class. Javante Williams playing well for the Broncos. Jonathan Cooper, Baron Browning. They got a lot of guys out there that are about to experience Kansas City for the first time. They got to play an arrowhead. So that'll be interesting, yeah. too. It'll either be one of those moments where you don't know what you don't know or you know too much. And you're going to be a little bit afraid and on your toes. Um, Meanwhile, the Chiefs, coming off of a bye week, they've won four straight, but remember they lost four of their first seven games. So what's changed for them, Coach? What's going well now for Kansas City?
1: Well, they they stopped turning the ball over. That has helped, and their defense is playing better. To me, when they got Melvin Ingram and they were able to put Chris Jones back inside, I think that made all the difference in the world. Chris Jones is a dominant defensive tackle, one of the best in, in football. He's an okay defensive end. I think they lost a lot. They lost a lot of their identity. Um, But having that pass rush going now and having Chris Jones just stir things up inside, that has given them a lot of confidence. Uh, They they still haven't put their total game together. Maybe they do it after the bye. We'll see. But I, I think the confidence is coming back in Kansas City.
3: And I think a key guy to watch for the Chiefs down the stretch is Josh Gordon. Because when he first arrived, Patrick Mahomes, this was after they beat Washington earlier this year, either Washington or Philly. He went on and on about Josh Gordon. And not that long ago, Andy Reid said, Gordon just needs a little more time to get himself into football shape. Well, but now they've had the bye week. And, and to have that option who could rise up in the pass game across from Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, that could be what they're missing. Remember how important Sammy Watkins was to the Super Bowl Run And and the play he made in the Super Bowl against Richard Sherman getting open when they needed it most. Um, If Gordon can step up down the stretch into the postseason, that's a huge advantage for the Chiefs.
4: Well, that's going to be our Sunday night football game again, and we will be coming on right before seven o'clock Eastern. You can catch us on football night in America. Guys, we did pretty good for a couple of bye weeks. We're right back in it. The consistency, the chemistry. We're just call us the Patriots kind of for now. All right guys, we will see you on Sunday and I hope everyone out there enjoys the rest of their weekend.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.